2: There, thanks for joining me again on Tell Me Your Tales. This week's conversation is with Mitchell Brown. It was um, great to get Mitch on the show. We we recorded this last uh, Saturday, Saturday morning, so about three or four days ago, and um, yeah, really good talking to Mitch. If you don't know him, he's a super elite Australian distance runner. His uh, PBs from 1500 through to the marathon are super impressive. He's got. Quite a a massive range on him and, um, yeah, some super quick PBs all the way through. But probably more importantly than just being a fast runner, Mitch really knows a lot about running in Australia and in Victoria in particular. He um, used to work for Athletics Victoria and was the editor at Run For Your Life for quite a long period of time. So um, his knowledge around the sport and his uh, thoughts and opinions on where it's going in the future I think are pretty valuable and we kind of get there in this discussion. Um, yeah, it was good to kind of have a long chat with Mitch, I think uh, that's the direction I want to definitely take the podcast, Try and have interviews that are a bit longer and no kind of agendas or questions kind of written down and just kind of seeing where the conversation gets us and yeah, it's surprising how quick we can kind of get up to 90 minutes when you uh, kind of have that kind of format. So grateful that Mitch could give up you know, a big chunk of his Saturday last week. He wanted me to do a bit of a shout-out for his partner, Bianca. He works crazy work hours. He's obviously trains pretty hard. And um, he just zipped over to Berlin and back last month. So he really wanted to give a bit of a shout-out to Bianca just because there's no way Mitch could do that without her support. And he really appreciates all that she does to support him in his pursuits with the running. And, um, yeah, so thanks to Bianca. Anyway, I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Mitchell Brown. Thanks, guys. All right, Mitchell Brown, welcome to Tell Me Your Tale's Podcast. Thanks, Brady. Good to be here. Yeah, just saying off air, last time I saw you were um, sitting in a bathroom in an Airbnb in the back blocks of Berlin after having a couple of beers. A bit different this time around? Yeah, a
0: little bit. Um, it was a couple of beers and probably more than a couple of Jaeger shots. So um, I'm, I'm a little bit hazy on how that all wound up, but um, but I remember it was a pretty good night.
2: Yeah, good night after a first, first good marathon from yourself.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, it was an interesting one that uh, that marathon. i I've come away from it now um, pretty satisfied and and, and really happy um, and for, with the experience, which was uh, overall a, a really enjoyable one. But uh, yeah, it involved a, a lot of uh, resetting of goals uh, mid race and even early in the race. Um, so it's a bit of a weird one. Your your initial goal goes out the window so quickly um, that you reset and then you think, oh, I'm not going to hit my reset goal, and then you hang on and you. You grind it out and, and you do so um so by the time you finish the race it's uh, it's almost irrelevant not being satisfied with or being unhappy about not hitting your original goal so so that's kind of where i am at the moment but um but no please please to have got the first one under the belt and, and yeah pretty satisfied with the whole experience
2: we'll get to that in detail a bit later on mate but do you <laughs> want to firstly maybe introduce yourself to the listeners feel free to do that in any way that you see fit
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, Mitchell Brown is my name, and and given we're here talking about athletics and and running, I guess that's what people are interested in. So um, I've been competing uh, in athletics in in some way, shape, or form since I was about seven, uh, living in Moonee Ponds, Essendon area uh, throughout my childhood, um, and more recently living in Greenvale out near Melbourne Airport. And uh, I suppose. In recent years, um, probably 2011 was my uh, breakthrough year, if you like. I've, I've been lucky enough to, to get a few opportunities, uh, go overseas and, and represent Australia at two World Cross Country Championships and, um, and have a, a few uh, reasonable results on the track and, and compete in some, uh, some really good, enjoyable competitions overseas there as well. So um, from a running point of view, uh, I guess that's a little bit about me.
2: Yeah, pretty modest as well, like your PBs are very impressive, I think you're probably the fastest man that we've had on the show so far, we've, um, maybe oh, not over the marathon, to. but definitely your track speed is um, fairly quick, so do you maybe want to go through your PBs, maybe from fifth or maybe 800 through the marathon now, just to give the listeners some kind of context, just how fast you are?
0: Yeah, sure. Well, 800 um, is not overly impressive. That's a 153, um, which is funny considering um, when I was a kid, I was adamant I was going to be an 800-meter runner and it just kept pushing up and up and up. Uh, so 153, 800, 344, 1500, uh, 759, 3K, uh, 1337 for 5, and 2844 for 10. And then for a half marathon, I've run 6455.
2: And then the 218.52 at Berlin a couple of weeks ago.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's right. So um, went into that race, not really sure of of what I was capable of exactly, set a probably fairly ambitious goal of of about 215. And as I said, that went out the window pretty early. I knew from about the 15K mark that um, that, that wasn't going to happen. So then sort of reset, um, well, not even mid-race, pre-mid-race and said, okay, well, I think now... 219 as that uh, as that Commonwealth games qualifier it's not going to mean anything it's not going to get you on the team but it's it's that's going to be something to hang your hat on to say I I stuck it out and uh, and broke 219 and and can technically say I've got a Commonwealth games qualifier so um, yeah pleased that I was able to do that on what was uh, a tougher day. Uh, earlier on in the race than uh, than what I was expecting.
2: Yeah, just on those PBs though, like that range is pretty impressive, isn't it? Like just looking at all those PBs from the eight hundred through to the marathon, like they're really consistent and and pretty impressive the whole way through. It Doesn't even look like there's a there's no kind of weak one, if that makes sense.
1: Um,
0: yeah. Oh, well, I, I, I mean, I, I haven't spent a lot of time with those uh, those pace calculator apps and things like that, yeah. working out what I should be able to run for this if I've run this time for this other distance. So. Uh, yeah, I, I suppose it's it's reasonably consistent um, across the range. I would say that I think the five k is probably my uh, my best time um, of of those. Uh, I would hope that it would be because uh, for the last few years uh, that's been the event that I've been the most focused on. Uh, but yeah, I, I suppose I've I've um, I've been able to get some some reasonable times over over a good range probably the 1500 is is the one that uh, that sticks out as uh, as an event where maybe I, I didn't quite get the most out of myself
2: yeah right hey take me back to the start little aths, when you were seven
0: yeah that's right so uh i reckon i was in must have been in in grade one at uh at st monica's primary school in in mooney ponds and um and the propaganda mongers as i call them came in from from little <laughs> athletics and said hey come and do little athletics and uh and gave me the flyers and uh, yeah where they probably ended up in the the bottom of the bags of everyone else um, they went straight to my parents and uh, and I said oh, I really want to do little apps because I wasn't involved in uh, any formal organized sport at that point um, only doing Oz kicker or Vic kick as it probably was back then um, and went down and, and did little apps and, and loved it and I've and never really looked back I've dabbled in a few other sports but uh, but athletics has always been the number one and I probably worked out from well, – like went okay at the at the sprints as a kid. Um, I've, I've never had the, the most powerful stride, as anyone who uh, who watches me run would be well aware of. But um, but one thing I've been able to do, I suppose, is turn the legs over reasonably quickly. So that's where I, what I have to rely on to try to get any speed. So, um, yeah, as a kid, I probably went okay over some of the, the shorter sprints. But probably from the time I was about nine, worked out that it was going to be the longer stuff that I was going to be uh, – best suited at but um the funny thing i found out later my dad's a, a very keen runner he's um he's uh, involved in the athletics victoria scene runs for keeler st bernard's um which i previously ran for as well before going to my current club in essendon and um and uh he uh, i guess guided me through as a as a youngster and um was a, a de facto coach of sorts and, and was always really supportive of, of me doing athletics uh Given his own involvement in it, but I only found out uh, years later that he'd he'd been a little bit wary about me joining Little Athletics because he had been involved in um, some form of junior athletics, whether it was Little Athletics or or something different, I'm not sure, and and, and had really not liked it and uh, and thought that it was going to uh, turn me off the sport, uh, which he didn't want. Um, but uh, but as it turned out, we went down and um, and it was really good and um, and uh, yeah, despite the fact that there's. Um, Sometimes a little bit of tension between the worlds of uh, Little Athletics and, uh, and Open Age, given the different administrative bodies there. Um, I can't speak highly enough of, of my time in Little Athletics because it really developed my, my love of the sport.
2: Yeah, and it's pretty rare that um, you've lasted the whole way through. Like that's There's not a lot of people that last from seven all the way through to, what are you now, 28, 29?
0: Yeah, 28, almost 29. Yeah, so, so... 20 years in the sport. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose it is pretty rare. And, and I guess, um, again, um, I, I probably have my, um, my parents and, and, and my dad to, to thank for, for that um, because it would have been when, – when I showed a little bit of promise, it, it probably would have been easy to go down the line of, of trying to throw me right in and, and, and get me in with a, a, a serious coach who was going to insist that I was down at the track however many nights a week. Um, and, and, and I think there were – Again, something I only found out a little bit later. there were a few people that um, that sort of spoke to my dad about that and, and said, "Oh you know has he thought about doing anything more serious because even all the way through school um up up until the end of uh, secondary school all, all I did was was really do um, a little bit of training um with the guidance of my my dad and um and, and school training uh, which again was uh, he was actually the the, the school ask the head ask coach and uh, a cross country coach for a large part of my time at secondary school, so a lot of it was under his guidance. And um, uh, I think the, the standard sort of response from him was, uh, "Well, when he's ready, like if he want, if that's something he wants to ask for, um, then then we can go down that path. But until he's the one that actually wants to push for that, um, we won't do it." So I probably never trained or, or did anything more than three, at, at most, four times a week, all the way. Um, all the way up to uh, the end of high school, so I think uh, so I think I was managed pretty well in that regard, and um, and it meant that I was probably a, a never really an outstanding junior, um, but I never had any serious injury issues, um, and yeah, I, I never burnt myself out, and um, and got to a point where I was in my early uh, approaching mid twenties, where maybe you see um, that's sort of that point where some of the guys that have been pushing all the way through just say no, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, where I was saying, okay, well, I feel like my, my journey's just starting now, really. So um, I suppose I have that to to thank for it and and, um, and my parents to, to thank for, for that uh, carefully managed approach.
2: Yeah, it's so good, isn't it? Because you see so many champion youngsters that just, yeah, you're right, they're just over it or burn out by the time they're 22, 23. Or I guess when you were starting, did you find it, well, not when you were starting, but when you were 15, 16, kind of, you know, hitting year 10 and, a lot of these guys probably smashing you pretty easy. Was it a stage there where you wanted to kind of up the training to take them on or were you happy just to be patient and waited out?
0: Um, yeah. I, I mean, it's so hard to think back to the, the mindset of that period of time. I um, I kind of had a little bit of a breakthrough when I was about 13, 14 and, and went from sort of just making up the numbers at state finals at Little Ass to um, to, to uh, winning a couple of state medals and, and going to um, a couple of national championships. So I did that in spite of n- probably not doing uh, a, a massive amount of training. And and then that that probably slowly petered out um, over those, uh, those years, like 15, 16, 17, um, a- a- approaching the end of school. So, yeah, I, I, no, I... I i don't know that i necessarily was and um, i think that point probably came that point where i said i, I really want to start ramping things up prior to this i'd, I'd been happy just to sort of uh go along and, and enjoy myself and, and get the best out of myself doing what i was um but i think it was after the melbourne commonwealth games that i said you know, th- this level of, of of competition this is something that i've I want to be a part of and and I want to aspire to. So I went out and I said, right, I'm gonna I'm doing four runs a week or, or whatever it was. I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna do six runs a week. And um, having been really not much more than a, a track runner who who did cross country uh, over winter just to to build up a little bit of a foundation, I guess, without even really knowing what that meant. I just went out and I tried to smash myself on the track every day uh, with with short sharp reps. And uh, and that didn't last very long. Um, and then after that point, uh, my dad realised I was wanting to up the ante. He said, "Well, I think we, I think we better look at uh, at getting a coach, getting a proper coach for you." So, um, not to take away from from his guidance uh, through my junior years because that was really uh, important and, and influential. But he said, "Yeah, well, you, you know, you, you can't do this on your own," um, which essentially is what I was trying to do. And um, yeah, yeah. So, um, so it was probably around that point, eighteen, nineteen.
2: That's a great effort by your dad, isn't it? Like I know being involved in schools at the moment and occasionally you go into the kind of inter-school sport days and you see some of the parents and the way they act towards their children kind of to win at all costs kind of thing. And I I've kind of just stand in the background and shake my head and just think, you know, this kid's not going to be doing this when he's 22, 23 if this attitude continues from the parents.
0: Yeah, yeah, and oh, he, he has been great in, in that sense and, and continues to be great in that sense and um, you don't appreciate it as a kid. You're just like, oh, well, that's, that's my dad and, and that's how he is and, and that's what he does. That's normal um, and it's only later when you, you realise and, and, yeah, as you say, you're, you're a bit older and, and wiser and, um, uh, and, and you see some of the other parents and the way they are around their kids and, and just the, the amount of pressure Uh, that gets put on them i I never had to deal with that and um i I think the the greatest amount of pressure came from myself it always has and um and that's probably uh that's probably been uh, what's helped me get to to where i want to get i've never been trying to do anything to impress anybody else uh if i have a bad result i'm gonna be i know i'm gonna be the most disappointed one um and and so you know family members or friends or Anyone who's supported me has, has never had to come out and tell me that that wasn't your best day because uh, I always knew it and I was always going to be the one who was hardest on myself. so uh, yeah, it, it's it's been really good and, and and I think with hindsight I can appreciate um, so much more fully uh, how great it was to, to have my dad and, and, and my mum as well um, not be uh, putting that sort of pressure on me and, and just happy for me to go about. Things my way.
2: Yeah, so when they went kind of coach hunting, how did that look? Like, obviously, they knew a lot about the sport already, so they'd be going in with quite some expectations and really wanted to find the right fit for you.
0: Um, well, I'd always done a lot of my training down at uh, at Aberfeldy, at the, what's now the Mooney Valley Athletics Centre there, um, the home track of Athletics Essendon, my now current club. Um, and, and the coach who was always... Um, floating around there and always making conversation with and, um, and probably suggesting that uh, he wouldn't be totally opposed uh, to me coming along and, and joining in with them yeah. one day was uh, was Gregor. Uh, I've, do you know what? I've, I've never really tried to properly pronounce his surname. It might be like Gorshevsky or, or something like that. Sounds <laughs> I good. I don't
2: anyone's going to uh, judge you
0: on it. Yeah, well, Gregor might. Uh, <laughs> it might, might be very bad story, as he would say. Uh, Gregor. Gregor's Polish for... Uh, for those who aren't aware, but, um, but he is a, a bit of an institution down at Essendon, and um, and so that, that was, it was a pretty obvious fit first up, someone close to home, someone really passionate about athletics and, uh, and someone who clearly had, um, had a really good, strong group of athletes, um, junior and, and probably young adult, and, and even some, some older athletes as well, athletes pushing up into their 30s and 40s back at that stage, I think, who were competing at, uh, at a pretty high level. Um, so it, it was probably a pretty obvious fit. I, I can't remember the exact conversation, but I went down and, and said to Gregor that, uh, that I'd like to, to start training with him and, and things went from there. And that, was, that would have been when I was about 19 or 18 or 19, I reckon. So maybe 2000 and late 2007, that probably began.
2: Yeah, but that big jump in your kind of performances and progression, that, you said it before, 2011, yeah, like I remember you in the AV kind of cross-country races, pretty similar to like ability to me, I reckon we're kind of like 20, kind of 30th in open kind of thing and then next minute you're just like winning them and kind of like top three, kind of every week in like the space of like two years.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't sit down and I don't have my progression charted out or, or anything like that, but... Um, I sort of have a rough idea of of the the jumps and breakthroughs that I've made, but but one number that always stuck out to me was I, I think I finished 66th at the 2010 cross country champs at at Bundura, um and, and now that was not a true reflection of where I probably was at at my best in 2010. I had a I had a pretty rough 2000 and, 9 2010 or late 2009 and and 2010 year lost a bit of focus and and motivation and um and had some injury and and illness issues there um so 66 probably wasn't a, an accurate reflection of of where I should have been in 2010 but 66 was where it was at nonetheless um so 66 in the 2010 state cross country champs and then in 2011 I came second so that was that twelve month period was um, was the big breakthrough there, and and, and the thing that happened in, in that period of time was that I started training with Ken Hall, uh, or under Ken Hall, and and with a with a group that uh, that included Liam Adams.
2: Yeah, right. Surround yourself by good with good people.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and um and there were some some good people there. Uh, Ryan Jackson was um was probably the the instigator in in getting that group going. Um, Unfortunately, no longer involved uh, in athletics as a competitor because he, he did have a bit of talent there, Ryan Jackson. Uh, but fourteen ten
2: uh, or something, five k, didn't he? Or fourteen? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty
0: low. Uh, I, I Yeah, I, I reckon it's somewhere somewhere around the mark there. But he uh, he had a pretty a pretty rough trot with uh, with sickness. I think it was glandular fever, but yeah. he just. Couldn't really shake, and um, but uh, but no, I think he's enjoying himself post athletics now, so that's good. And um, and the infamous Waller De Kertu, of course, was part of that group as well. Uh, better known in some circles as the Conda. Uh, so we, we had some good times uh, training together, the the four of us there. Um, Brent Brent Lawler from uh, Down Geelong Way was another one who uh, who floated into the group later on, um, and 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 spent a, a good bit of time training with. Uh, With us and and under Ken before he moved down to Geelong and he's an old school friend of mine so it was um, was good to do some training with him as well.
2: Mark Blickarbs as well Geelong footballer now he was in uh, a while there
0: wasn't he He had a strong team. He was yeah we we did um that, that was that was uh we were all training with Gregor at that point so Mark was um was one of Gregor's athletes but yeah 2011 was was a good year and that was I think what really piqued my my interest in in trying to build us into a a strong competitive Division One or, or now Premier Division cross country club, um, because we had a number of races, I, and I, I think that state one where I finished second was probably the um, was probably the, the best one where we had our top six all finished in the top twenty. I think we were one, two. Might have been Liam first and me second, and then uh, Wallard, Mark, Blitzarves, Ryan Jackson, and Ryan Gear. Geard,
1: yeah.
0: yeah. Um, we, we were all in the the top twenty, and and Ryan. Ryan's still running well, in the um, athletics Victoria events unfortunately no longer for us. He's now with Western Athletics. Um, so yeah, we w- we had a really good core group that year, and um, I think at one stage we were in the running to to win to win it overall and um, and then a, a few ordinary results to finish the the year. Um, I think we might have finished fourth. Uh, but we've uh, unfortunately never hit those heights again, uh, ended up getting relegated, or uh, lost a Lost a, a big part of that core group, ended up getting relegated. Have now worked our way back into Premier Division, and uh, are just trying to to rebuild ourselves into a into a pretty strong club again. But um, but the the look and and feel of that group is is quite different now. A lot of new faces in there.
2: Yeah, the good thing about you and Liam, though, in particular, is you guys just front up for everything. and you are so like, you can come first and second respectfully in a race, but still there's no ego there and you're down to earth and you guys just roll around AV like it's just, you know, you really respect it and you want to do well every time you put the singlet on for Essendon. You can just tell.
0: Yeah, oh, well, thanks. That's that, that's nice of you to say. And, uh, yeah, I, I guess that's that's what I'm trying to create. I uh, Ken uh, Hall, who's been my... Coach, since uh, as I said, that period in, in about late 2010, uh, was largely uh, responsible for team management as well. A really great clubman, not to mention a, a sensational athlete in in yeah. his day as well. A, a lot of people might not know, but he ran 3:36 for a 1500 meters, um, so pretty impressive background there. But uh, but a really great clubman, Ken, uh, and was uh, and, and continues to be um, involved and responsible for the team management side of things. But um, but one year. Um, so when we after we got relegated, I um, I, I said, oh, well, okay. I, I, do you want me to sort of step up and, and try to help out with some of this team management stuff? So Ken and I, over the last couple of years, have have sort of split those duties, I guess. And um, yeah, I, I've just tried to um, uh, build a little bit of a culture around that and, and try to create this this idea that uh, well, run, one running for athletics Essendon. athletics victoria events and in xcr events is something that people should want to do and and one trying to finish well and and highly as a team and and ultimately even push for that division one premiership is something that we should be aspiring for and i I guess the best way to do it is to to try to lead by example if if you're going up to people and saying well why aren't you going out and, and running at this event we need you to get points and and you're either going out and, and, and not giving it a, a good crack yourself or not fronting up at all. It's uh, it's pretty hard to, to have a really convincing message there. The words seem to ring a bit hollow. So the best way for me to do it is say, well, you know, it, it'd be great to, to get you guys out there so we can field our best possible team and, um, and then go out and, and do it myself and, and try to run well and be up the front of the field as well. And, um, you know, I, I've probably done a little bit of the, the call to arm sort of stuff. Um, and then Liam, uh, great clubman himself, I think buys into that sort of things as well. I think would be would be really stoked to see us uh, challenge for a Division One Premiership as well. Um, he's the very much the lead by example type. Just goes out, runs, always runs well, uh, even if he's not quite at his best. Um, as you said, he is prepared to check his ego at the door. Doesn't mind. Um, rolling around at, at whatever pace he is comfortable at, or if he's got some other training that conflicts with it, he'll, um, you know, go out go and, and run at that more comfortable, manageable level, and doesn't mind getting beaten. Um, so, so yeah, it, it, it's fantastic to have someone like him to to work with and, and try to run up the front of races with, and say, okay, guys, we're we're trying to set the tone here. Um, hopefully, hopefully, some others can follow suit.
2: Yeah I want to sit here for a while I was planning to bring it up a bit later on because I know you've been involved with AV with your work and stuff and we'll get to that but where do you think um I guess the last 12 months with AV and I remember back to those days what I was talking about before when you were kind of coming 60th in that Bundur, and I might have been coming 30th but the depth seemed to be huge back in those days like you had Troopy and Mark Tucker and kind of Um, Some really kind of credentialed runners and coming kind of top 10 was a huge thing back in the day, whereas it seems now you look at the results and it's made up of some good athletes, but definitely not the same cut that they were um, three or four years ago. And it seems like the teams, it seems like every team's finding it hard to find six good individual runners um, each week so I guess maybe what's your thoughts on the current state of cross-country and athletics victoria I think the participation numbers are really good but I'm just not sure if the debt's there um, any longer but and where's it heading do you think yeah
0: it's it's an interesting question um and I hadn't really thought too much about it uh in the cross country sense. Oh, I guess a lot of my concerns around um, what's going on in athletics, Victoria yeah. at the moment we'll get there. The uh, 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 to, to, to do with, uh, with track and, and summer competition. So I think the structure of the winter competition is really good. And, and the team side of things is really good there. So I, I think there's probably, um, I certainly don't think there are any issues with the way that the competition is run, um, that, that, that might be turning people off. I, I think, uh, I think it's as good a format as it's ever been. Um,
2: I, I I and think numbers would be up too, wouldn't they? Sorry to interrupt, but like just general numbers would be up. Like you go to Albert like, Park 10K and there's stacks of people, but I'm just yeah, of I, talking about the pointy end.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would have to think that the numbers are up um, because, yeah, it, it does. It just feels like you're finding uh, bigger and bigger crowds and um, to find car parks. and Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly right. It's really good. So I think in terms of the real pointy end, um, the, the challenge now is probably just that there's so much more stuff on the running calendar. Um, we've probably got, I don't know if we've got uh, more guys trying to, to make it at that really top level of track, but prob- it seems like there are a lot more guys or, or certainly more guys that I'm aware of who, who go overseas and spend large chunks of the year uh, in Europe and, and the US uh, racing the, the track circuit over there during our winter. Um, wh- whether, whether there are actually more numbers or I'm just more aware of it now that um that I've sort of had a bit of a go at trying to do some of that sort of stuff myself. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but but certainly the the real pointy end of guys um, spend a lot of their time overseas. You know, we see guys like Colas Birmingham and, and Luke Matthews who ran at the, the Princess Park Relays. When they are here, they do come out and, and and they run these events, which is really good. They're just not here that much. Um, so that makes it difficult as opposed to, to someone like a Troopy or a Tucker who, who might have been, um, if they were more focused on marathons, maybe they weren't spending as much time overseas. Oh, I don't know. I really don't know about the schedule of those guys. So they might be more akin to someone like a Liam who is now at home a lot more and, and, and therefore available to to do the, um, the the cross-country races. But the other side of things is just that the number of fun runs that have, Cropped up, or existing fund runs that have just built and built upon the amount of money that they're prepared to give out to runners. That's that's a pretty hard thing to um, to overlook for for athletes who are, are pretty serious about what they're doing um, to get some level of financial reward where previously there probably hasn't been a lot. Um, and, and if if you if you do the Australian road running circuit, like you can actually make. Quite a bit of money. I've I've, um, I've probably never really tried to to give it a a, a good crack myself, but uh, but I know a number of athletes who have made probably close to a wage just from going out and, and targeting fun runs um, throughout the year. So there, there are guys, uh, or there seem to be uh, a few guys who are, are capable of winning enough prize money on the on the uh, domestic road running circuit that it's almost uh, uh, enough to uh, amount to a full wage. So uh, f- for guys like that who are, who are pretty serious about their running and and um, and putting a lot of time and effort into it, uh, that's a pretty hard thing to resist, I think. And um, yeah, with with more and more events uh, offering more and more money, something's got to give. So for a lot of guys, um, naturally, that's probably going to be the the Athletics Victoria stuff, um, which is a shame because uh, because I think it it actually provides something uh something unique and and something different particularly the cross-country side of things as, as opposed to uh road racing all the time um so so how you uh, combat that i'm not quite sure it'd be great to think that uh athletics victoria were, were capable of putting up huge amounts of prize money to come and run the the 8k cross country out in country victoria somewhere but but one it's, it's probably uh it's probably not going to happen and two I'm just you know, I'm not sure that that's where their priorities should lie anyway, even if, if they could. So so what you do about that, I'm not sure. Um, probably the only thing that I would say is that I've probably uh, resisted at times um, the chance to go and do certain road races where there was the, the opportunity to make money just because I knew that it wasn't the best thing for myself and, and my own development Um Going and doing a, a cross-country race, uh, the nature of cross-country and the um, and, and the the strength that you get from from the hills component of that, the fact that you can recover from those, you can attack those races uh, hard, but still recover from them so much more quickly because of the the surface that you're running on, as opposed to a hard road. Um, and and just the the, the depth and, and and quality of competition that that you do get there which is is still very good even if it's not quite as uh, as deep as what it once may have been i think you i think that just needs to be um recognised as, as a really good development tool um, so uh that that's been the thing that that's kept me involved in uh, in the av side of things and and heavily involved in the av side of things at the expense of of um of chasing money on the roads across the country so uh that's probably where um the, the the sort of sentiment that you have to rely on to to get guys the 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 top guys and girls around australia competing at these things regularly and choosing these events over some of the the road races but uh but it's a hard message to sell, whether you can sell it or whether athletes have to realise it for themselves, I'm not quite sure.
2: Do you reckon it's in that team component, though, like running for a team, whereas it's pretty hard to do that in any other area of our sport?
0: Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think that stuff does come through uh, a, a lot more strongly in, in the winter side of yeah, things. Sure. Um the TAN relays and the Gels Park relays, where uh, obviously it really comes to the fore because you're actually not running for yourself, there. you're running for your and for sand down, And
2: Sandown's pretty cutthroat if you're in Yeah, and, yeah. And
0: Sorry, Sandown as well, of course. Um, I, I mean, they're, they're great days. They are great days to be a part of. Um, where where the problem lies there is that that's not something that can be driven by Athletics Victoria alone, whether or not you have a good experience of the team side of things at those events or, or just an ordinary experience, is going to come down to your club and how well your club does that side of things and pushes that side of things. So um, that's something we, uh, Athletics Essendon, haven't always done that well in the past. I, I probably tried to drive it a bit more last year and, and then, if I'm honest, dropped off a little bit this year. Um, promoting that culture side of things and everyone getting together and and, um, and going for something to eat or, or maybe going to the pub for a beer after the race. Um, just with working weekends a bit more this year, I probably dropped off um, my ability to do that. But I think that really has to come from from a club side of things. And, and you look at clubs like South Melbourne and clubs like Melbourne Uni and um, it looks like Geelong to a large extent as well. Um, are really good at pushing and promoting that side of things so so that's where it's difficult um, AV can facilitate that competition but to really drive that that club culture that needs to come from the clubs themselves
2: yeah yeah hey take me back to that, that year with the big improvements 2011 so you're coached by Ken now what was the big difference between training that probably forced that breakthrough
0: um probably more of a focus on uh longer stuff and and just generally boosting the mileage um the idea was always to focus more on the track and, and really i went in uh just trying to get fit for for winter and and, and um, build up a, a bigger and bigger base uh than, than what i had previously with with the aim of, of coming out and trying to run some fast 1500s over summer uh and i just continued to surprise myself i uh Oh, I put some, some good training together over over summer um, and, and sort of finished out the, the 2010-11 track season reasonably okay, and then just started building through winter and, and doing some some longer and longer runs and uh, and more regular and faster tempo sessions, more longer reps, uh, 1Ks and 2Ks, things like that probably. It's a long time ago now, so yeah. I'm struggling to remember exactly what it was, but it was yeah you know, we weren't reinventing the wheel we were just it was pretty basic sort of training from from what i remember but it was just it was just slowly ramping up that volume and and then getting a little bit more intensity into some of those tempo runs and and, and long rep sessions and uh, yeah i think i came out and uh, maybe just missed a top 10 finish at the 8k that year which from what i remember was down at uh Bel-Nary at the the race, yeah, the race course, course yeah I reckon I, I reckon I just missed a top ten finish there, but I think it it was my best uh, best ever result because I reckon I'd only ever snuck into a top twenty previously. Um, then I think I might have finished uh, fifth or sixth or something like that at the um, at the ten k. Uh, certainly a top ten finish at the ten k at Flemington, and then the real breakthrough uh, was the the fifteen k at Ballarat I it was a really windy day and, and I went out and and I found that I was leading a lot of that race um up until about oh, probably seven or eight k and then there was a big pack that just made a, a huge move on me um and, and left me behind that sort of sat off me and said okay yeah thanks for that and then kicked away and I thought oh okay well here we go I'll probably you know will be lucky to sneak into the top 10 here and then um kept working away and, and and just gradually caught uh, more and more guys and I think might have been involved in a sprint finish with uh, with the the great Rowan Walker and um, and and snuck my first ever medal managed to get uh, work my way back through after that group made a, a move on me and, and won a won a bronze medal there so um, so that that was really exciting and that made me think I you know I, I might be onto something here. I, I might be making some real progress and uh, on my way towards uh, becoming uh, a regular high finisher at these uh, at these state events which was something 12 months earlier having finished 66th at Bundur I, I could never have envisioned. So, uh yeah, got the third, got the bronze medal there. Went on and won the silver at the um at the 16k behind Liam and then did it again at the um at the uh, the bandura uh, cross country so we, we had two two in a row where we we finished one two um, so so th- that was exciting. I don't think our club had ever had a one two finish at a, a state championship winter event before, and we did it we did it two rounds in a row so um, so two thousand eleven was a was a really fun year
2: but then to kind of go on two thousand and twelve like go down to Launceston and break twenty nine minutes down there in the road like that's a whole nother cut above. Um, what we're talking about in these AV races here, and then national cross. What year did you win national cross?
0: Uh, national cross was was twenty thirteen. Yeah, so, so that
2: 2012-13, massive years.
0: Yeah, well, funnily enough, it, 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 that might appear like it was all part of one like really good run, but um, but the really good run probably went from about mid twenty twelve up until the end of twenty twelve, and yeah. then I had a and then I had a really ordinary rough time of it from. Oh, probably, oh, no, 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 I, I had a pretty tough time of it from, um, probably early 2013, um, to the, the, the mid middle of 2013, I, I guess. And, and then, um, was able to, um, to reset, build up to, um, to national cross, uh, down in Launceston in 2013. And then, uh, went through another pretty tough patch after that. But, um, yeah, I think twenty twenty twelve twenty eleven was that was that breakthrough year where I really thought, uh, you know, I went from sort of just making up the numbers at AV events to to being a a pretty serious competitor there. But but you're probably right in that twenty twelve was my real golden year, I guess, um, where I, I I was able to do things that I just could never even dreamed of previously. And that that twenty eight fifty two or whatever it was down in Launceston, and that's still. Stands out for me because um, it's one of those things where if you could if you could bottle that formula for, for whatever it was that you did uh, in the lead up to that you, you would. Um, but uh, in 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 a lot of ways, it just it doesn't really make sense. Um, some of the training that I've done since then has been so much better, and yet I've I've never been able to replicate that or or, or break twenty nine on the road ever again. Um, but yeah, I ran. I broke thirty for the first time. I think maybe two or three weeks earlier at Flemington, and then went out and and broke twenty nine in oh, in Launceston. Huge. Just 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 went with the pace and um, and was really surprised at how good I was feeling. And um, and it, yeah, came down to a it was a, a bit of a war of attrition that race. Uh, I think Harry Summers and Marty Dent were there, and they just slowly um, the runners slowly uh, one by one dropped off, and in the end, it was just me and Michael Shelley and. Um, he was too strong for me, but uh, but yeah, i i I ran a, a minute PB having having run a PB uh, only a few weeks earlier and, and broken thirty for the first time. So it was it, it it was yeah a pretty a pretty amazing couple of weeks and uh, and and sadly I haven't been able to do it since. I haven't been able to break uh, haven't been able to break twenty nine on the road since. I've done it once on the track, um, but haven't been able to break it on the road since, despite. Uh, some performances, um, some much better performances over the shorter side of things, over five k, and some much better performances over the longer side of things, over half marathon. So, for whatever reason, just haven't been able to get it right in that that middle ground there.
2: How was your headspace at that stage? Like you would have been feeling invincible, wouldn't you? You've just gone from you know just breaking thirty to breaking twenty nine up against you know run to the line with Michael shallow who's probably hands down the best distance run Australia's had for the last two or three years. Um, you know, did you have to check yourself, or were you just thinking the sky's the limit here?
0: Yeah, I, I probably, um, I probably did get a little bit ahead of myself, and I wrote a, um, a fairly uh, lengthy article or blog or whatever you want to call it um, on this subject. Um, probably uh, got a little bit carried away with that. I was fancying myself as um, as some sort of worldly scholar and. Um, yeah, got a little bit pretentious in uh, in the way I carried on in in uh, in writing that article, but um, but yeah, about the fact that a reality check um was uh was not too far away, and and I think it came probably when I ran in in Burnie uh, later that year. Um, I went down and 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 ran ran okay there, but but nothing overly impressive, and I sort of thought I was just going to go out and and mix it with those guys again, and I came I think fourth, but I was well and truly beaten there, so. Um yeah there the, the, I probably was um thinking I was going pretty well and probably did get a little bit ahead of myself and just expected that that was going to keep going and going and going um as it turned out despite running pretty solidly throughout 2012 oh, nothing I ever did for the rest of the year um really came close to that 2852 on the road um and yeah unfortunately um Nothing in that distance range really has since. I've, uh, as I've said, I've had some good results over, uh, over some various other distances, but uh, but haven't quite been able to get it together over 10k again. Um, so yeah, I, I think there's uh, when you have a big breakthrough like that, there's always a reality check around the corner. And um, it, for for me, like it, there probably wasn't a world come crashing down type thing. It was just a, some a few. In different results where I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, this is not just going to happen for you week in, week out.
2: Mm. That's good headspace to have, though, isn't it? Like, you could have easily, um, you know, lost the bundle a bit and kind of thrown it away or had a year off or, you know, you've seen other athletes in the past when that happens, it's, it all goes downhill pretty fast, but you're pretty resilient and you've stuck around.
0: Yeah, well, my my bundle dropping moment probably came in late 2013 um, when I, I got injured um through my own stupidity uh, in the lead up to Zatapec that year. That's right. Did um, you try to
2: change your running technique or something like that? I remember hearing about oh, this. Yeah, it. Yeah, word,
0: word travels fast. Yeah, apparently. it makes it oh, up well, to well, a well, chukamai, well, man. Well, yeah, well, maybe not fast, but it travels, yeah. it travels wide anyway. It um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I did. And, and if I look back on it, I honestly don't know why I did it. Um, I, I think I, I just somehow got in my head this idea that um, as as I said and and as anyone who's ever seen me run would know um, I'm not a particularly uh, powerful runner in terms of my stride Um, if you watch me run single file on the track as part of a group I'm usually taking three steps for everyone else's two. so um, I've got this short kind of choppy stride and I just got this idea in my head that I needed to develop this uh, this more Uh, graceful powerful kind of style to uh be more like the 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 better runners that i was trying to to match it with and um and that just it wasn't me and it's not me and that's not how i run um and yeah ended up injuring myself um in the lead up to to zatepeg got to a point where i forgot what even felt natural anymore um, and i couldn't just switch off without being uh overly aware of, of what i was doing with with each step um and, yeah, str- struggled to get back from that. And it probably wasn't until um, mid uh, to late 2014 where I, I really got things back on track and, and went overseas and was able to run under 14 minutes for 5K for the first time in, in a pretty long time because that was the other breakthrough result that I had in, in 2012. I, I went under 14 for the first time on the track and then it took me a long time to to get back to that sort of shape again. So... Um, I suppose the, the the silver lining for that whole sort of uh, process was that i I actually did learn a, a lot more about um, technique and and um, biomechanics and just the, the the structural and strength things that need to be in place to allow you to manage load i um, I started seeing, uh, the team at uh, Recover Sports Medicine in, in Richmond uh, was referred on to that, and um, uh, Jay Anderson and, and Sam Rosengarten, the, the two physiotherapists there, um, really helped sort me out and, um, and helped me develop that whole hip strength and, and stability aspect, which is uh, often uh, a fatal flaw in the, the distance runners' makeup. Um, so, so that's been really good. And, um, and I think now, um, I probably, despite not being that runner visually that I want to be, um, I've come to terms with that, that I'm never going to look like those guys in the way that I move. But, um, I have had a few people, um, comment on the fact that I do look like I actually move differently and, and a bit more smoothly now and, and probably don't sit in the bucket as much anymore, um, which has come not through, Trying to change what I'm doing wholesale, but just actually get stronger and and, and learn where strength and power comes from in running from a um, from a make-up point of view. So um, so that's been really good. I have to thank those guys for that. And um, and yeah, um, although although Jay's no longer there, I think he works for the Gold Coast Suns now. Um, I'm, I'm still seeing the the team at, uh, at recover to this day. So um, they've been really good for me.
2: Yeah, right. And that breakthrough came with a few changes in work as well, yeah? Like you went from AV to Run For Your Life as the editor?
0: Um, yeah, so initially that probably helped. Um, although, I mean, that—that's the first sub-14, the first uh, sub-29, I was still working at AV at that time. So um, they came in the midst of um, some pretty busy periods at work where I was probably a little bit tired and tired. Um, and could easily have gotten a little bit run down, but but for whatever reason, things just fell into place. So I started at Run For Your Life, and, and, and things went um, really well initially. Um, I, I had that uh, – I, I made the, the team for, for the Chiba Ekaden and, and went and ran there and, and had a pretty good run over there and then came back and had a pretty good run at Zatapec, ran 28.44 and finished fourth that year. And I think ran eight flat over three, which, um, which was a big breakthrough for me as well. Um, so when I first started at Run For Your Life, yeah, I was getting some, some really good results over that first few months. And then after Christmas that year, things went a little bit pear-shaped. I'd, <coughs> excuse me. I'd, um, I'd made the World Cross team and I went over to Poland and didn't run particularly well there, came back and, and got injured, um, and strained my calf running the, the 5K here um at at melbourne sorry and at the melbourne track classic and then yeah probably realized that I was I was trying to do a little bit too much trying to run well on the track back home and um in cross country events overseas when the, everything's going on at the same time <coughs> sorry I got a bit of a dry cough thing going on here oh good mate um and yeah so I probably needed to reset there um and, and and that came I just set my sights on, on trying to go well at the at the 2013 national cross country um, so built up over winter and and resisted the um, the appeal and the offers to, to come and do a lot of the road races there just so that I could build up again and um, and got myself into a position to win the 2013 National cross which was really good Um and and then as i said things went a little bit pear shaped after that and um and it took me almost another 12 months to to get back to any kind of reasonable form so r- run for your life i guess um to get back to the the initial point um it provided me a really good platform um given i was able to to work from home as, as editor of that magazine and have pretty flexible hours to to try to do all the right things around my running and um and, and maybe make it a little bit more of a priority i think the problem with me for that is that I've never been very good at doing that sort, those sorts of things, anyway, and um, and having that sort of discipline. So I probably fell into some bad habits through that period. Um, and, and the other thing that I did was was just had so much more time to sit around at home and, and think about my running. And um, uh, after four years of having done it and, and being back into to full time work in an office environment now, um, I'm not sure that's me. I'm not sure the uh, the live the the full time athlete life is me. Um no i no, I'll go strong with that say, I I know it's not me I, I need something else going on um, which you know that, that probably sounds unfair that sounds like run for your life was nothing else going on and 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 it certainly was. there was lots that went on in that period and and um, from a work point of view there was lots of really good stuff that went on in that period and uh, and I really enjoyed um, a, a lot of of what I did there but um, but but the the reality was that I did have uh, more time on my hands and, and more time to to sit around and think about running really. And um, no, that, that's, uh, that's not good for me. I, I needed to be um, occupied and engaged and, and probably even out interacting with people more. Um, when you sit at home by yourself all day, writing about running and, and re- researching and reading up on running, the only thing you have to talk to people about is, is running. You have no other interactions with people during the day. You go down and, and, and train with, um, with the rest of your group or um, for, for me a lot of it was just uh, with Liam and Ken by the end and, um, and they're the only interactions you're having. So everything becomes about running. Um, and, yeah, I, again, I, I just think that's, that probably wasn't a good headspace for me. So to, to be involved in a role now where, well, one, I'm, I'm in an office and, and working with people during the day and, and two, uh, it's, on a, it's focusing on, on something else Uh, giving me an outlet away from that I think has been a really good thing for me
2: yeah and it's funny you say that because you named it in that blog you wrote for runners tribe about you know never seeing yourself as a runner always been a working man who runs and then when you went to like part-time work and you were actually a runner who was kind of working and now you know years later you're kind of calling it obviously you would have had those feelings at the time to even come up with the idea to write that blog
0: yeah I did I did and um uh, yeah i, I probably at, at the time i wrote it i don't know if i envisioned doing what i did for for as long as i did so look that that probably says something about the run for your life experience that <coughs> maybe wasn't coming through in, in in what i just said in, in that to be there for for over four years as i was obviously something was working for me there and and, and there was something about that experience that um, That was enjoyable, and and it was. It it was, in many ways, a a really good time. But um, I I think being able to uh, now say that running is not the the number one focus, it's not the be-all and end-all, I have a job uh, that I'm trying to i uh, established myself in and, um, and, and progressed through um, with the Werribee Football Club, which is going really well there. Um, I'm thinking more about the future and, and family and, and things like that. Um, being able to walk away from a race like Berlin, for instance, without having necessarily got the result that I wanted, I'm in a much better space, a much better headspace um, in a situation like that than I probably would have been 12 months ago, two years ago. Coming away and thinking, right, this is this is the number one thing in your life. This is the number one thing that you're focused on. You've made not sacrifices (coughs) because, excuse me, I really I don't like people talking about sacrifices that they make for their sport. I think they make choices for their sport. Uh, No one else is benefiting from those choices except them. So that was what I did. I made choices. The people around me were the ones who made sacrifices because they had to support me in those choices. but I think when you do make those choices uh, and things don't go your way, you, you, you do have those real soul-searching moments where you think, what am I doing here? Um, why, why am I putting myself through this? And, and, and why have I deprived myself of some of these other things if, if this is all that I'm getting out of it? So, yeah, there were some, there were some unpleasant moments and experiences, I guess, through that where I had some some really ordinary results and, and probably felt even a little bit embarrassed about how I was going because there were you know, people who were, had families that they were juggling and, and working tough jobs and they were rocking up at, at events and, and just blowing me away. And here I was trying to live the life of the not quite the full-time athlete but probably not too far away from it and just thinking, what am I doing here?
2: Do you find it difficult now, though, working full-time and stepping up to the marathon, so a bit more of a training load to get the balance right?
0: Um, there's been a lot of improvisation, I'll say that. I, I went in. This year has, has looked pretty interesting um, for me from a, from a starting point of view anyway in, in terms of the, the training that I've done um, because I, I ended up it's, – it's the first time in a long time that Ken – hasn't actually written a program for me. Um, I, I got to the point where I basically said, I, I, I can't ask you to do this for me because with the work that I'm doing and some of the uh, unpredictable hours, I can't be 100% sure that I'm actually gonna be able to stick to it and I wouldn't wanna waste your time doing that. So I, I sort of dictated um, a, a good chunk of, of what I did while still coming down and, and joining ken and liam for the sessions that they had because ken wrote liam's program so while still doing quite a lot of those sessions when when uh they could fit in i was going and and doing my own stuff because i knew that i had to um so i suppose that as well gave me an opportunity to experiment with some stuff which was, was um uh was fun and was interesting and um and and probably produce some good results and and maybe produce some not so good results um in in some senses as well so so that was the the starting point that i had and i had this rough plan of of what i wanted to do um and in the end there probably wasn't a single week through that six month period that ended up looking like what i had envisioned it looking like because i thought okay well i'm gonna I'm going to struggle to, to get down and train with Ken and Liam on this night. Um, I'll have to go out on this night instead and, and, and do this. Um, and then even that would change. So um, it was – that in itself was a good experience, I think, being able to adapt um, because coaching is something that I've become more and more interested in. Um, I've had more and more of my own ideas over the last few years that, that I'd like to explore, I suppose, and I, I think actually riding – a training program is probably, with a clear progression, is probably the easy part. I think the hard part comes in in when you can't, for whatever reason, time or recovery, uh, if you're struggling to recover from sessions or, or if you, you get injured um, or or not getting the results that you, you want or expect um, because you, you haven't quite worked things out uh, at, as well as you thought you had. Um, I think it's being able to adapt to that. Um, that, that, I think, is, is the difficult part and, and the hard part of coaching. So um, I suppose that gave me uh, a little bit of a taste of that, having to um, having to readjust my session sometimes on the day because a lot of the time I'm just thinking, I don't physically have time to go out and do this session, so do I push it back to later in the week? Do I try to do something similar but just reduce the volume, maybe pick up the intensity, uh, as a result so these they, they all the questions that I kind of faced I guess and um, it, it was challenging but um, but I think it was a good experience because you, you just learn to, to not get anxious about that sort of stuff and in the past I would have been really anxious about that I would have thought this is the session I have to do this session because yeah. this is the session um,
2: and, and almost be a perfectionist and every session's got to get ticked off and if you don't get it done you know Sunday night you can look back and the perfect week's been done whereas you were a bit more flexible and just just getting it done Whatever it yeah, was.
0: yeah. Um, which I mean you, you, you take a step back from it which is hard to do but if you if you take a step back from it and and um, and look at the, the whole idea of training like you, you know that it's not an exact science. You don't have this um, This perfect linear progression that, that works all the way through so to, to try to plan it that way to begin with probably doesn't even make that much sense, but then the perfectionist side of you takes over the, uh, the irrational side of you, probably, uh, takes over and, and, and tries to plan it that way anyway uh, and then freaks out when things don't go to plan, even though if you took that step back, as I said, you'd realise that, well, thinking that this is the perfect plan is it's kind of silly anyway.
2: Yeah, that's a gutsy move, though, in itself, like debut marathon and you're just like, okay, coach, I'll sort this one out myself.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, we had... Um, I suppose that there were two aspects of that. Um, I, I had talked, I'd had some discussions with Ken about about trying to take a, a little bit more ownership over what I was doing anyway. Um, and, and, and it was probably a little bit of an, an unresolved discussion. Um, and then I, I guess the, the situation, and I, I wasn't sure where it was going to go over the new year as, as 2017 began. And, and then the work situation kind of, automatically resolved it I, I got to a position where I realized well you know I, I, I couldn't ask anyone to write me a program at the moment because I don't know that I'll be able to stick to it and the number of times that I ended up calling Ken and Liam and saying oh look I'm, I'm not going to be here for you know another half hour or hour or I just flat out can't make it tonight because something's come up with work um, that happened a lot so uh, you know I, I think that was the right and, and, and fair thing to do but um but but no i as i said i enjoyed the opportunity to to explore some some new ideas i I suppose um so in the end um despite the fact that i did a fair bit of training with him um liam and i our progression and lead up to this marathon would have looked very very different in the end
2: yeah, right. And let's get to this marathon. So what was the thinking behind stepping up to the marathon with such a successful kind of 5 and 10K uh, PBs and kind of progression there?
0: Oh, it was a pretty cynical move, to be honest. Um, <laughs> there was there was a whole there's a whole bunch of uh, young kids coming through who were just wiping the floor with me over fives and tens. And I just sensed maybe there was a little bit of an opening over the marathon. Um,
2: Five, five's got to be the hardest event to get a to get a um single in, doesn't it? At the moment,
0: oh, at the at the moment it's pretty tough. Yeah, I mean, well, um, thirteen twenty,
2: and you don't even get one.
0: Yeah, that's right. And then, um, you know, well that that was the case uh, for Rio, and then you've got guys like Stewie McSween's come out and run thirteen twenty or something. Now, um, I don't know what Morgan McDonald's doing, but he was running thirteen thirty something this time last year. I've um, I've kind of fallen off. the uh, Dropped off the the scene in terms of keeping. Yeah, well, he a, went whatever. to
2: worlds. He, he hit the time and went to worlds.
0: Yeah, yeah. So um, there you go. Um, so yeah, I, it, it's cra- crazy depth over five k at the moment. So I thought, well, you know, five, trying to trying to get that thirteen thirty seven down to a thirteen thirty five. That's fun and all, but it's uh, well, or thirteen thirty three. That's fun, but it's uh, it's not going to get you on a team. So is there anything that's going to get you on a team? I thought, well. Maybe not, but my uh, best chance is probably a, a marathon. So, because um, I think it was probably looking like at that point in time, if you run a two six, if you run a two fifteen or a two sixteen, you might actually be a chance to get on the team here. Um, as it turns out, every man and his dogs had the same idea as me. Now, by the looks at things. So, um, the the window that was open is uh, quickly slamming shut. But. Um, but that's okay, because um, I've i really enjoyed the experience of, of trying to build up for this, and um, and I want to do it again. Um, I don't want to I don't want to leave the track behind completely. Um, I still want to go back and and yeah, I want to still try to run some PBs on the track. And I don't think, having said, I'm now going to be running marathons. I don't necessarily believe that that is means that your your best days of track running are are behind you. Um, but but I am excited by the thought of, of doing another marathon, which I suppose it's a good sign because um, I know a lot of people who run there first who, who aren't that excited by the thought of doing another one later. So
2: Yeah, and it's funny you say that because it so like two or three years ago when the world champs were maybe in Beijing and Australia didn't have anyone and it was pretty much like if you can run the 218, 219, like you've got to spot easy. And as you said, kind of now everyone's kind of jumped on that bandwagon just trying to nail that qualifier, but it's probably not going to be good enough unless you're you know, 215, 212 kind of stuff.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, world champs is a bit of an interesting one anyway. Some of the decisions that they have made around uh, host nations and times of day that those events have been run, I think some of the top athletes have said, well, I'm, I'm actually a, a better chance of uh, world championships, to be honest, not that high profile an event. Um, in, in terms of trying to build your profile as an athlete, um commonwealth games despite being much lower down on on the pecking order um, in terms of quality of competition um, is much higher up in terms of the public viewpoint within australia so um, athletes are prioritizing um olympics and commonwealth games over world championships for the exposure and then you throw in the fact that they're they're being uh run in um, some interesting parts of the world at some very interesting times of day i.e three in the afternoon and and things like that, and, and just really terrible conditions for racing. Places like Beijing, smog, apparently they closed the factories, but none of the athletes even knew that that was going to happen. So they were they were all under the assumption that they were going to be running through the Beijing smog. Um, I don't know how true that is, but that, that's just what I've heard. Um, yeah, like well, you can understand, like, these top guys saying, do I, do I want to run here or do I want to maybe go and run at Berlin or Amsterdam instead, get a really good time on the board, and absolutely – and yeah, and absolutely shore up my spot for either the Olympics or the Common Games next year. And so that, that seems to be the path that uh, a number of athletes have, have taken. So I think world champs is probably a little bit of a different one. But but even after Rio, like you sort of looked at it and you thought, well, um, Liam Liam's come home as the as the first athlete here. He's run two sixteen. Um, you know, Shelley, I think was going through some injury issues, so that wasn't a, a true reflection of of where he was at, I guess. But um, yeah, there was that sense that uh, two two fifteen or two sixteen that might even get you onto an Olympic team. Um, the way things are going at the moment, mm. uh, of course, of course, a lot can change in four four years, and uh, it looks like a lot's changed in in one year. Um, already, a lot of people have probably sensed the same opportunity, and um, and now the the race for marathon spots is is heating up, and with. With guys like Collis Birmingham and Chris Hamer coming out to run it, I mean, it could well be in a position where you actually need to run two twelve or two thirteen to make the common games team. So um...
2: Which is good for the sport, isn't it? Like, you know, it'd be great to have three guys who have run two seventeen and they're kind of good hard workers with full time jobs and the kind of working class kind of men, but you know, it's good for the sport to have those top level guys getting out in the roads and seeing what they can do for marathons.
0: Yeah, absolutely, it is. Um, but but as you say, I think just as important is uh, is having that that depth of guy, um, that that second tier. If two seventeen turns out to be that second tier of runner coming through as well. Um, you know, I, I think depth across the the scene is, uh, and and that includes track as well. Um, aside from just trying to get that, those three guys to to break thirteen twenty, I think we want to try to get as many guys running. 13.30 and 13.40 and 13.50 for, for 5K as well. Um, so, yeah, to to have essentially achieved that um, with the marathon just by making those qualifying times uh, a little bit more competitive. Um, I know people have turned their noses up and, uh, and taken a bit of an elitist viewpoint with that, but the reality is it's not going to make any difference in, in terms of guys actually getting on the team. You're still going to have to run those fast times to be one of the top three, as I've said. Um, and, and guys, guys are, are chasing it now because I think even if they think they're not going to wind up on a team, it is a nice thing to be able to say to yourself that, yeah, I, I qualified for the 2018 Commonwealth Games. I didn't get on the team, but um, but I qualified. So, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah.
2: But even with the world champs like Doha 2019, like, you know, maybe those top three guys don't want to go and I couldn't imagine that they actually would want to go. And then you're kind of looking at guys like yourself and Julian and... Dave, who has just ran two seventeen as well, and the Josh Harrises and kind of Jack Cole Reevy, and it's like it's going to give those kind of guys an opportunity to to get an Australian singlet to maybe push on to be two fourteen guys, two fifteen guys. Yeah,
0: do dohar's an interesting one, isn't it? Oh uh, with man, the, uh... I stopped
2: over there <laughs> and have in. It's uh, I would not want to run a marathon there. It's insane.
0: Yeah, with the um, with all that stuff that's gone on with the the World Cup, you uh, you wonder oh, what man, might have happened with yeah. athletics. But uh, anyway, we better we better <laughs> not talk about that Your the, lawyers, the lawyers will come for <laughs> me um, so yeah yeah well it, it, it is you're right um, and, and, and we saw that we saw this year we saw um, Brad Milosevic and Jack Colrevi and Josh Harris get an opportunity at the World Championships which was fantastic and um, uh, unfortunately for Josh uh, uh, it's probably seen back a little way with his stress fracture but, um, but fantastic for those guys to, to get that opportunity there and uh, yeah Doha for those who are willing to brave the heat uh, (laughs) may very well prove to be that same sort of opportunity. So it is really good. It is good.
2: And the other thing about the marathon is it's really unpredictable as well. Like, all it takes is a couple of guys to get injured or someone to choose a a big city race over a championship race. And then all of a sudden there's people who kind of get a sniff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, um, oh, well, I I think Berlin itself um, showed how unpredictable things can be with the with due respect to, to Dave Crenity, um, I don't think many people would have thought that he was going to be the second Australian home in that race. He's just absolutely pulled one out of the box and it was a pretty incredible run. And, um, unfortunately, uh, people thought probably would have thought that, um, that Ben St. Lawrence would have been the, the first or, or second Australian home there would have been challenging for that two twelve sort of window that, that, Liam was. And, um, I think, think might've had, uh, been battling a bit of a hip injury and, and, and that flared up on him on the day. And, um, and he's had a really tough time of it. So, yeah, it, it is it is quite unpredictable, as you say. So um, it be really interesting to see what happens.
2: Yeah, let's just talk about your race for a while. So you said earlier you're hoping kind of 2.15 leading in and you hit some good sessions beforehand. Like, the preparation went well?
0: Yeah, I, I think the preparation went really well. There was a session I did three weeks out. Um, Liam and I did it together. Um, we did 7K, 6K, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, um, all with a K float in between, so it was basically a, a continuous 34K run. I think we started at about 3:15 pace and then worked down, uh, and the last ran the last one K effort in three minutes, um, and then sort of maintained a float of probably about between 3:40 and 3:50 on the on the um, on the recoveries. So really, really solid session. Ended up doing 34K at an average pace of about 317, 318, um, and recovered reasonably well from that. Came out and and ran the half marathon at at Burnley the next week just trying to go around in about 67 to the half and and did that and felt really, really comfortable doing that. So had a lot of confidence from that and um, unfortunately, for for whatever reason, stepped out on on race day and just – Felt, didn't, didn't feel bad or, or uh, anything like that but just felt that couple of percent that one or two percent off um, and, and that one or two percent off can maybe mean that that pace that two weeks ago felt really comfortable uh, all of a sudden just feels slightly beyond that, that threshold of, of, of what you can maintain over 42k and, and that was that was pretty much how I felt on, on race day having come out and run 312s like it was a walk in the park 2 weeks earlier already probably not long after 10k i I, I was off the pace and uh, and feeling like i think 315 316 kind of zone is is where i'm at today i just i think anything more than that is just going to tip me over the edge um and and that that probably proved correct cuz um I, I i ran pretty evenly for the race but did drop off uh you know probably about 40 or 50 seconds that um, that second half so yeah i i think I, I think i assessed the situation correctly
2: what did you put it down to like the travel or like it was a terrible like humidity and weather like what do you think it was yeah
0: um humidity was was there that was it was a factor um and it was noticeable but um but yeah i, I don't know if it was I don't know if, if that was enough to, to make the difference, particularly with so many other guys running so well there. Um, maybe travel a little bit. Um, felt felt pretty good in the legs before the race, but just, I don't know, maybe had this, maybe still just that little bit of a cloud of fogginess there in terms of um, having adapted to the, the travel. So, yeah, I don't know. Not not sure what, what you put that down to. Um, it's... No, it's it is frustrating when just for whatever reason you're not there on the day, uh, you're not where you need to be on the day. But um, but yeah, happy with the way that I that I readjusted. Maybe maybe the taper side of things as well. Uh, first time ever trying to taper and pull back from a bar- for a marathon. Maybe I didn't get that quite right.
2: Yeah, and the frustrating thing is, I don't know if you find the same, but you got to wait like six months to have another go at it. It's not like you can just bang out another one the next week.
0: Um. So I, I crossed the line feeling surprisingly okay. Um, managed to kick home over the last 2K, ran 3.08s or something for the last 2K. Um, so, you know, w- w- it w- was feeling pretty good and, and yeah, pretty chuffed really that um, on what had been a tough day I was able to hold it together and, and even kick home and, and pick up on a few guys who'd gone past me because um, apparently that doesn't happen too often. When guys go past you at 35k they normally just keep going and going and going so um, i actually was able to claw back a little bit of ground finished feeling pretty good and thinking all right haven't run what i want when's the next marathon um and now i'm home and reality's kicked in Uh, i recovered really well from that 34k session which was at a pace not much slower than than what i ran for the for the race and um and i've done you know a number of 45k runs in training and been able to recover from those really well but um that middle ground of running the 42 on race day at that fast pace that extra 8k from that hard session i did it's just it's really just pushed me over the edge uh the first rod back was terrible as i knew it would be i think i ran 5k in half an hour so i was doing six minute k's and then the next run i did uh six k half an hour so six k five minute case and i thought oh, okay oh, that's all right uh, that's a, that's a pretty good job on on yesterday and then since then it has just been so slow such slow going um only got back to sort of running around probably 420s a couple of days ago and even then not feeling especially comfortable doing it so um yeah there, there is a part of me that's thinking oh maybe i'll depending on how things pan out over the next few weeks, what guys do in Melbourne or Amsterdam, if there's a reasonable or realistic chance that running a 2.16 could get you on the team, maybe I'll have another roll of the dice and try to run 2.16 and and maybe look at trying to run Fukuoka or something like that. But at the moment, oh, I'm just thinking, how do I even get out and go for a a run and just feel normal? It
2: bangs you (laughs) up, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, it does. It really does. And, And so I'm starting to understand that now. I'm not sure that when guys say, Oh, you need you need six months, I'm not sure that you need I'm not sure that you need six months to, to feel capable of fronting of up on the start line again, but you probably need it's it's just that by, by the time you're actually recovered, you you may have done so little over a pretty extended period of time that you've actually lost quite a bit of fitness. Um and and essentially just need to start the build up phase again. That that's that's what I'm I'm wondering now, having not done this before. If, if that's where that line of thought comes from, because obviously there are guys who have have proved that you can run a good marathon without necessarily needing to wait six months. But um, but where that uh, that idea comes from, I'm I'm starting to understand a little bit better now.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So Fukuoka is kind of at the back of your mind, possibly.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't even know if I could get a spot in the race. I haven't talked to anyone involved in the race with it. Um, maybe I'm, I'm assuming too much there, just thinking that I could walk up to them and say, hey, can you give me a spot in the race? And then turn around and say, yeah, no worries. But, um, yeah, uh, it's, it's it's been in the back of my mind that, um, that, you know, if if I was in a position where, where maybe uh, that was still semi-realistic, because um, you know, I, I want to think that those those couple of minutes – that, uh, that I blew out in, in my marathon, that I can pull those back um, with a second go at it. But one, whether that actually give me a spot in the race, and two, whether I can get myself up for it. Um, yeah, they're, they're pretty big questions that need to be answered. And and look, Chris, uh, as far as I know, Chris Hamer's going to come out and, and run Amsterdam. Um, if, if he came out and just blew everyone away, which is liable to do because he's such a good runner um then i might look at him and say well you know there's there's your three spots gone there um yeah you're not going to run that time if he comes out and runs that very impressive time that that he might well be capable of um for his first marathon so so who knows who knows well well we'll, i think i wait that that week or so see what others have on the board and, and see how i'm feeling um and then we reassess that
2: watch this space yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Hey, um I've got a number of questions written down here. I know we're getting tight for time and stuff, but I might yeah, just sure. throw some of a at you and just well maybe first up, maybe tell the listeners and I'd like to know as well, like the process of you getting into Berlin. So like obviously an elite position in the race hotel, how does that what's the back end of that look like?
0: Um, it's it was pretty straightforward to be honest. Um I sent an email I'd flag Berlin uh, from a long way out, as the race that I wanted to do, so I sent an email. I reckon it was back in January or February, just saying um, I'd really like to race Berlin. Uh, these are the the runs that I have on the board over the shorter distances, um, and based on that, I'm, I'm hoping to run somewhere around two fifteen. Uh, happy to happy to pay my own way for for everything, um, but would would just really like the opportunity to to get a spot in the race and and get close to the front of the field. Is there any chance of Uh, on the start line that is Um, is there any chance of of that happening and um, super super accommodating Uh, they wrote back and said yeah free free entry in the race Um, uh, I I think they (laughs) one of the things that they actually said was that uh, that if you run if you break 2.15 um, you can have your uh, your accommodation on on race night for free Um, obviously that didn't happen so um, so yeah given a spot in the in the race hotel but but had to pay for that um but then given free entry into the race and um, a spot up the front and access to all the the elite facilities so uh, really really fantastic uh experience and really accommodating there and uh, i think there is still a thank you email that i need to send for that so you've reminded me there about that so thanks for that brady <laughs> That's
2: um nice but, it all.
0: yeah so um Look, I, I don't, I don't want to throw this idea out there that uh, that that's just what you do and that's the the process because I'm not sure that that is a process. There probably is some sort of process there that I've not been aware of and ignored, and uh, and I've just happened to come across someone who was very accommodating and, and helped me out there. But uh, that that was my process. So um, got that spot in the race, and um, the the interesting thing was just not knowing um, which. Uh, look, there was a, uh, an element of uh, of. Keeping certain information from the the race organisers here because the reality was I didn't know if I was actually going to be able to go and, and do the race because uh, it happened to coincide with VFL Grand Final weekend and I now work for the Werribee Footy Club and uh, early on in the year we were we were flying uh, Werribee uh, six and two after eight games and looking like they uh, they could be a a premiership contender and uh, unfortunately for the club uh, things fell away a bit after that. Um, two wins for the rest of the season, had them just miss the finals. Um, but it meant that I was then able to to take my place in, in the race. So things came together uh, well there. Uh, of course, uh, disappointing that uh, that Werribee was not able to make the finals, but that's been a really good experience uh, uh, working media for for Werribee this year. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed that and, uh, and really enjoyed my time at the club there.
2: Yeah, so how do you juggle, like, have you got a manager or sponsors like the Bauman Track Club, is that still going on, and like, kind of, I guess, marketing yourself when you're at your level of running?
0: No, I've, look, marketing myself has never been something I've been particularly good at, look, I, look I, I don't mind talking about myself when people ask me questions, I have no qualms, uh with that side of things, but um Social media is not something I've been to, which is probably ironic, considering it's a big part of of my my work and and my um, my job with where'by promoting the club through social media. but from a personal front, I've you know where where I've had to with um, with Bauman in the past and that, no, I'm no longer involved with uh, with Nike Bauman. that ended at the end of last year and uh, and I have to say a, a massive massive thank you to. Uh, to them, particularly uh, uh, Prue who helped me out uh, through the early years there and and got me involved with the program because um, their support over four years or so was uh, was pretty amazing, uh, maybe even five years I think it might have been. Um, but, uh, but marketing myself through social media has never been something I've been particularly strong at. Um, I'm, I'm just not that comfortable with it. I have no problem whatsoever with, with other people doing it. Um, and it's become a very natural thing now for, uh, for athletes to do to use social media to, to market themselves. But I've just, I've never been good at, at writing something about myself unprompted. I've done it a few times, but it's never really felt natural or uncomfortable for me, um, which probably makes it pretty difficult for me to go and approach sponsors and say, hey, would you be willing to help me out? Because they might turn around and say, oh, well, what are you going to do for us? And, uh, from a social media point of view the answer is probably not that much because it's uh, it's just it's not me and it's it's not what I do uh, so as i said I've the, people who uh, are friends with me on facebook might look at say no hang on i remember you posted <laughs> some you posted some self serving photo of you in your nike shoes or something about your race result and, and it's true i did i have done it in the past but um, but it was never something that came particularly naturally to me um, so, yeah, for any pr- prospective sponsor, um, it, it makes it hard. I'd, I'd always be prepared to, to go and, and talk at something or, or help them with some sort of event or, or anything like that. But um, but uh, pumping my own tires up on Facebook um, is just it's just not something that sits all that all that well with me. And, and, and I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm being judgmental of, of anyone who uses Facebook for that purpose. Um, absolutely no issue with it whatsoever. It's just not something I feel personally comfortable with.
2: Yeah, because times have changed, haven't they? Like it's not so much you run, you know, a certain time for ten K you're automatically sponsored. Like you've got to bring value to the sponsors outside of just your running performance these days. Yeah, it's not
0: an exercise in philanthropy sponsorship. Um certainly not anymore and I don't think it should be. It's gotta be a you know there's got to be a like for like value there. And, um, and that is promoting the brand. Um, so I, I, I totally get that. And I've had this conversation with people and they said, oh, you know, the, you, you've done this or even not talking about me, like so-and-so's run this or or run this time and they can't get a sponsor, like that's terrible. And I think, hey, well, why is it terrible? Why, why why should sponsors, prospective sponsors, just be falling over themselves to go and, and hand these people money? Like the question they need to be asking is, uh, is us handing over this money actually helping our bottom line? And if the answer is no, well, then why are you doing it? Um, so, no, I, I understand. And, and to, to be honest, I think there probably is still um, a philanthropic element to it. I think a lot of the athletes out there who are getting sponsored probably are getting more for it than, than what the company is. Um, yeah, look, there, there's brand exposure <laughs> I suppose if they if they've got a strong following on on social media, but um, but athletics is the reality is athletics is not a high profile sport. So um, so yeah, it, it's an interesting one the sponsorship landscape. Maybe I shouldn't be saying these things. Maybe sponsors will start thinking, hey, you're right. We should pull all our <laughs> sponsorships that we have. Um, no. No, well, that assumes that people are listening to what I'm saying. So that's probably being um, that's probably being a little bit egotistical of me, that pe- assuming that uh, that everyone's listening to what I have to say and actually caring about what I have to say. I
2: should. plenty hey, people will be listening to your <laughs> words and they're only going to get better because I want to talk about athletics now. You just brought it up about, um, you know, not a huge high profile and it's probably safe to say that it's continued to drop um the years other than like nitro kind of um got it sparked up a bit this year and i know i read your blog on it how you're a big fan of that and you kind of compared it to the shield final you went to the next day and it was a complete contrast just the engagement levels and how long it went for and the numbers in the stadiums and things like that so where do you see the future of athletics
0: um yeah interesting one i, I suppose uh, what i wrote about the uh about the, the comparison between nitro and, and the shield final was a, a little bit different in, in i was probably more focused on the grassroots of athletics there uh, rather than where do i see um elite athletics as a as a spectator sport i, I was more focused on where do i see the engagement level at, at grassroots and and i just think uh with the track side of things especially because as i said i think cross country does actually do this reasonably well um with the track side of things, I think it's got to be brought back more to a club level. Um, I think that the club system has been seen as a little bit of a barrier towards people getting involved in athletics, uh, and I understand that. Fun running is so easy. You turn up, you pay your money, you get your bib, and you're good to go. If you say you want to get involved in, in track and field, it's like, oh, okay, well, you've got to find a club, and you've got to find the club that's right for you, and you've got to make first contact through the club and... and not all clubs are, are particularly well set up or organised for those initial conversations. It is a daunting experience for people getting into it. So, so I understand that side of things and, and maybe uh, a push from administration to try to, to scale back the club side of things uh, at athletics, which is what it feels like is, is going on a little bit now. But I think there's a massive underestimation of the value that, that clubs bring to the sport. Uh, coaches who coach athletes free of charge essentially because they they want nothing more than to see their athlete competing in the club singlet and 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 getting points for the club and, and helping that club win various team competitions um and officials and club helpers who who front up to events to do the same thing one one of the things that i've never quite understood is for something like the the victorian all schools for instance where athletes are there representing their school and not their club why why are club helpers and officials required from the clubs, the clubs not even being represented. You go and you help out at the state championships uh, as a club helper or an official. You're like, oh well, that makes sense because uh, the club's being represented there, and you can say, oh okay, I, I officiated at this event, and Nessenden's come away and won the HH Hunter Shield, and we've won more gold medals than anyone else. So yay for our club. Um, where's the incentive for officials and, and helpers to turn up for something like an all schools when their club's not even being represented? So mm. if you if you dial back that club side of things and, and take and, and you know water down the, the the team side of competition which i think some of the changes that are going on it at, at av shield at the moment uh it feels a little bit like that's what they're designed to do the 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 fact that it's even a team competition at all that's disappoint peering more and more into the background um and there's less of a head-to-head nature of competition i think the, the more and more you you dial that back the more and more you're going to have these people saying, well, hang on, why are we actually involving ourselves in in this competition for the sake of, in assisting with the running of this comp for the the sake of our club, when our clubs, the fact that our club's being represented here is is becoming less less noticeable. Um, I think the other side of that is that People enjoy being part of a team. Nitro showed that, like, mm. with, due, with due respect to these athletes, like, these are the most individually, these elite athletes, they're the most individually-minded people in the sport, really, and, and that's fair enough. Um, but they loved being part of that team. It They weren't necessarily doing things that were going to help um, further them as individual athletes, things like the elimination mile and, target javelin throws and things like that not going to necessarily help you become world champion um but it's fun like it's it's fun running for a a team that that you buy into and having the other people who buy into that team uh engage with what you're doing and, and, and cheering you on um because everyone has bought into this culture and and i think that's something that that we need to bring back to Athletics at the grassroots level, and for me, I'm I'm pretty big on this. I think the the competition structure just needs to be simplified. We need competitions where it's head to head. I'm running here for Essendon. The guy next to me is running for Melbourne University. The guy next to him's running for Box Hill and Geelong, and and, and whatnot. One runner, say say it's a sprint event. You got one runner from one team in each lane. First pass the post gets the most points. Maybe he gets a bonus point And then, so the winner gets nine points, then seven, six, five, four, three, two, one for the eight lanes. It's easy to follow. You understand. If you're watching as a spectator, you understand. If my Essendon guy beats this Melbourne Uni guy in the final race of the day, we're one point behind. So if he beats this Melbourne Uni guy, then we win the whole competition. I think you need stuff like that. And, uh, it's 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 not rocket science. It's it's school athletics basically. Yeah. it is. It's the format of school athletics.
2: And you need to be updated about those scores regularly. That's what Nitro did well. Like after every event, yeah. they were flicking up those scoreboards and showing like the progression as it was going.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely, absolutely. And um, look, Nitro wasn't perfect. I had some criticism. I had a lot of yeah. criticism for that article actually. And and people. I think there are a lot of people who didn't really understand what I was trying to say. To be perfectly honest, but but that's okay. Um, but some people, um, you know, had it uh, took took the the Mickey out of me, I guess, for um for suggesting that Nitro was the bee's Nice, and and look, I, I probably used a little bit of hyperbole there. there. Nitro wasn't perfect. There were there were some things that didn't work that well, and there were some things that I just laughed at because the concepts were so ridiculous. But um, but I. I really liked um, the fact that they were prepared to try to innovate um, and uh, and the fact that they were able to create a structure where you get these individually-minded athletes who were able to buy into something bigger than themselves, and that was the team. Easy to do when you're talking about things like Australia and New Zealand and, and people competing for their country, because I think um, you know patriotism is still a thing. Um, Easier to generate that feeling there for country rather than uh, club, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but I think it can be done. And uh, look, AV and and um, and and the administrators of our sport, oh, I'm not going to say that they're not trying to innovate because they are. Um, what we're seeing with uh, happening with AV Shield this year and the changes uh, that have been put forward this year, there's a lot of innovation there. Um, What I'm worried about is that the team aspect of SHIELD is becoming more and more pushed into the background. You're earning points for your club, but athletes from the same club can now go and compete at different venues and there's like a virtual scoring system, so you don't actually have to be competing head-to-head with the athletes who are in your zone. It's just your time at this venue versus their time at that venue. But when when it's so far in, in... pushed into the background, the whole team side of things, it becomes less and less relevant, I think. So um, I think we fi- need to find a way to bring back head-to-head team competition on the track. It, it is tough. I understand there are challenges involved. Shield moved away from that initially because um, because of a lack of depth. Uh, the, the, the best Essendon guy um, might be... Uh, streets ahead of, of everyone else in the field and the next best person was actually the second Essendon guy who would have to run in the second heat so they brought in a structure where if the three best guys were all running from the same club they could all actually race each other um, and get better competition so I I understand that side of things but I I, I think we need to explore some options and um, and, and find a way to, to, uh, to revisit some of these head to head competition ideas
2: Good answer, Mitch. Wouldn't expect anything less from you. Uh, um, the next one, marathon. How come we're so much slower than we were back in the 80s?
0: Um, good question. Not too sure about that. Um, I took a pretty different approach to marathon training anyway from, uh, from the, the, the classic Australian method, I, I guess, which, uh, look, I've never really been able to break the classic Australian method down to much more than 8x400 on a tuesday uh, or a, a fartlek on a on a thursday a hill session somewhere and then uh like a threshold or a long run and um yeah lather rinse repeat um so it seems like there are a lot of guys doing that sort of stuff back in the golden era seems like there's a lot of guys doing that sort of stuff now i took a little bit of a different approach um so if you look at me and say, why didn't you run that fast for your marathon? Maybe, maybe I should have just done the, the classic Australian approach. But um, in, in terms of, uh, in terms of uh, now and then, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not too sure. Uh, it's, it's a bit of a tough one. Um, when, when guys talk about doing their easy runs, um, I feel like there's a, a real lack of information there. So I think it would probably be interesting to look at, if it was possible, to to work out exactly what easy pace constituted for guys back then or what pace they did their long runs at back then and what pace guys did their runs at now. I think that would be um, a really interesting exercise if it were possible. Um, One of the things that really helped me Um, Make a a bit of a a breakthrough and and take a bit of a next step in my training progression was um, Was realizing and discovering that there actually exists a range of paces between going for an easy run and uh, And doing your your tempo or your threshold Um, And I think I was able to make some some pretty good fitness gains at at various stages of of my Career if you want to call it that Uh, by going out and rather than doing a half-hour tempo run at you know, 310 to 315 pace or going and doing uh, you know, an hour run or a 90-minute run or a two-hour run at you know, 4, 415 pace or, or slower, why don't you try to run for 45 minutes up to an hour, start off at maybe 340s and then maybe try to get down to 320 or something like that and, um, and doing a, more and more of that sort of work in that middle range of of steady paces i guess so um that's something that again i don't know about the marathoners from our golden era but certainly you look at um uh the the top new zealand guys um back in the day when everyone was on the the method um which i think a lot of what australian training is or has become popular with Australian training has been adapted from Um, there was a lot of steady running in there it wasn't threshold running but it wasn't easy running um, and I I think there's a there's a real fundamental building block there that uh, that probably doesn't get covered by a lot of runners. How you know how that relates to um our current generation and 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 what um and and what some of the guys from our golden era did um I'm not quite sure, but I do think it would be easy. Uh, sorry, interesting to see what constituted um, easy pace for for some of these guys back in the day, because because I reckon I reckon. There must have been something in there that was just a little bit quicker than than what we probably give it credit for.
2: Yeah, right. And at the end of the day, Mitch, what does success look like for you when the running careers is all said and done? Um,
0: yeah, that's that's an interesting one. Um, I I always said when I made that decision to go to Run for Your Life, which was obviously a decision that was um, largely motivated by running gold. Uh, I always said that I I never wanted to have any regrets um if i didn't make a team and i've been lucky enough to to make two now yeah, oh, i suppose three if you count the the cheaper one um so uh in in many ways I've, I've i've met my um initial goal but i'm certainly still not satisfied so um i i think i think success comes from I don't even know that it'll be that I necessarily got the best out of myself because I'm, I'm not sure anyone ever does um, have that perfect progression. There's probably always going to be something along the line that you, um, you could have done better if you went back and had your time over that, um, that you only discover with the benefit of hindsight. So I, I, I think success is just going to be not necessarily getting the best out of myself but knowing that I at least tried to get the best out of myself and, and, and did what I could to get the best out of myself.
2: Yeah, and that's always it, isn't it? You always just wonder, like, is this the best I'm going to get to, or is there more, or what if I did that session instead of that uh, session? Like, it's, and, it does yeah, your head in.
0: It does, and and at a certain point, you need to stop thinking about it because training is never going to be a perfectly controlled exper- experiment that you can draw uh, really, really strong conclusions from. You're never you, if, if you perform a, a specific type of training for a period of time you're never going to be able to then go back and say, okay, am I better off doing this training instead? Because you, you won't ever be able to get yourself back into the exact same space you were in when you started that previous form of training. And and if you embark on a new type of training, you're, that's going to be influenced by the training that's come before it. Training's a, a constant process of adaptation and I think a lot of those adaptations you carry with you for a long time. So if you're... If you try a new form of training and it gets better results than, than what you did previously, you might be inclined to say, "Oh, well, this form of training is better." But if you hadn't have done that other type of training beforehand, you may not have had the foundation that allowed you to get better with that new type of training in the first place. So it's it, it is it's a it's a really really complex uh, thing if if you think about it uh, to that level of detail and to a certain extent you need to not you need to you probably need to try to keep what is a very complex subject, as simple as you possibly can, while still recognising that, yeah, there, there is a bit to this.
2: Yeah, good response. And final question, mate, I always ask the people if they've got a mantra or a philosophy or a life quote they try to stick to in their life. Have you got anything?
0: Um, oh, you, you, you did give me a, a little bit of time to, to prep for this. Um, <laughs> uh, and and I, I don't have anything too good, but um, I guess you want to enjoy yourself. Yeah. Um, you want to enjoy yourself and you want to get the best out of yourself um but you want to not do it at other people's expense and uh and you want to have good people around you so um that's uh, that doesn't sound particularly poetic i would have loved to have had some great quote that i uh, by some famous historical figure that i could have drawn on but um but unfortunately i haven't been able to put anything together so um that's that's probably the best I've got for you at this point
2: I reckon you do that pretty well though you've always got a smile on your face and you're a pretty happy guy and you got a you know pretty good life balance between other things going on in your life not just running like you seem to be in it for the for a good time
0: yeah i I absolutely am and um and that's been I think that's been the the uh, one of the really great things that has happened through my whole process of, of trying to be a better and better athlete when I was a kid I I loved it for the competitive side, but I didn't really love training. Um, some of the shorter, sharper stuff where I could uh, hit the track and, and do some faster reps I enjoyed, I hated going for long runs as a kid and I virtually didn't do them, um, uh, just trained on the track. But through trying to get a bet, become a better and better athlete, I've learned more and more to appreciate running for running's sake uh, and simply enjoy the process. So, look, throw that in for the for the mantra as well. Um have, have the end goal in mind, but enjoy the process. Um, you're retired for a long time, I've heard uh, a few people say. So uh, when you get to the point that you, you can't do this anymore, or, or you can't do things to the level that you once did, you want to be able to look back and say, I, hey, I, I wasn't just doing this so that I could get to this end result and say, I achieved this with my running career. I did it because I actually enjoyed myself in the process. So those are uh, those long runs that just seem to drag interminably, or those uh, those short, sharp lactic-inducing sessions where you just want to die, <laughs> I think you got to. Sometimes you got to stop and appreciate the moment and, and say, "Hang on, this is actually what I want to be doing."
2: yeah spot on because then you get to think like especially like berlin you do big build-ups for those marathons and stuff and then they're over and then it's like it feels like someone's died and you've just lost a part of yourself and you're so much of your thinking like i'd do anything to go back to three weeks before berlin now and just to be super fit and not as sore and kind of enjoy the moment of that build-up again
0: yeah it it is you're right it's a it's a big come down and i've had um i've had a little bit of experience with that sort of feeling in other areas when i um At school, I I was involved in in a number of the school productions that that were put on at at St Bernard's College and and some of the best experiences of my life being involved in those. And and when when they are finished, uh, it was. It was a horrible, horrible feeling, Um, you know, going to an all-boys school and um, and being involved uh, in these school productions with the local girls' school and then realising all of a sudden that you're not going to see any of these girls anymore. That was probably um, a big part of it. (laughs) Um, when you previously had been seeing them, well, you've been seeing them like two nights a week, um, for, for rehearsals. And then you, you, go through this massive period where you put on eight shows in the space of two weeks. And, and as a, as a cast of 40 or 50 or 60 or, or whatever it was, you just, you're in each other's pockets the whole time. Um, you, you do the show you you have this massive high, the party afterwards, and then it's all over and you've got to go back to school on Monday and it is just the worst feeling, um, so, so yeah. The, the, the one thing with that, after I went through that experience the first time and, and went back and did it again, when, when you're in those moments, when you you know you're up on stage or you you know you're all celebrating afterwards, you're in that moment and you say, you know, I I don't want this moment to end. Like I, I want to not not to be holding on to things for too long, but you say, you know. I, I, want this, I want this feeling to last and I want to appreciate this feeling while it lasts. And I think sometimes in life, um, we don't do that enough. And, and with running, it's easy not to do that because probably the difference with getting up on stage and performing and running is that running hurts. Running physically hurts.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, so a lot of the time, you, you, it's easy to fall into that trap of saying, I wish this was over. And then you get that massive feeling of satisfaction at the end from, from having done what you want to do. You're like, oh, now it is over. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit sad. So, uh, yeah, I, I think enjoying the process, enjoying the tough times uh, while you're actually in them, uh, I think is something that probably none of us do enough and, and we need to try to do more.
2: Spot on, mate. Thanks for your time. We've spoken for ages today, but that's uh, it's all good content. I think the listeners are going to get quite some uh, value out of that.
0: Oh, I hope they do. There was a bit of rambling in there on my wow. part, but, uh, this, but is, no, was... this is what
2: we do every week. We just ramble <laughs> on about running. That's, people love it, mate. Don't, it's all good.
0: Very good. Uh, thanks, Brady. I, I really appreciate you um, you having me on. And um, and if I'm honest, I've, I've probably only just um, discovered some of your. Your great work quite recently, but um, but it's it's very impressive. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to see where the podcast goes in the future.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting medium. Like, I think we kind of spoke about it a bit after Berlin. Like, it's I just kind of came up with the idea because I knew there were so many guys, especially in your boat, like, you've got interesting stories and you're training hard and there's there's just no media around. Like, I'd love to put on a podcast, and I kind of made this podcast for myself. Like, I would have loved to download a Mitch Brown two-hour podcast and um, listen to it on my long run, and that's pretty much what people do because there's just no way you can kind of get this content of, um, you know, if you're not super elite in Australia, distance running is hard to hear about people's stories.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, you, you're right. And, um, you know, there, there's, not a, there's not a mass market for it. That's, that's the reality of it. In, mm. And when I, when I say mass, um, I, I mean in the sense that there is for something like uh, Aussie Rules football or, or, or cricket or, or the other sports that, that dominate the Australian landscape. But, there, but there's a good market for it, um, yeah. and and um pe- people uh, I've been surprised by um, by some of the, the people that have come out of left field that um, that uh, you know are, are regular listeners to you and, and know what you're doing just because um, you know they've got this this little link into the running community and it somehow led them to to listening to you and becoming regular subscriber and and listen to to your podcast so um yeah it, it's it probably is a bigger audience than than, than we might uh initially think or, or or realize so um to actually have a medium that allows you to do that is is fantastic and uh, uh, no, i think you're doing a really good job with it so keep it up
2: yeah no nah, it's blow my mind I, especially when we started doing the road to berlin stuff just documenting our training like we just thought that was a bit of a random idea and we'll just get on skype and kind of just really just talk nuts and bolts about marathon training. And we had a listen like Brad met up with a listener in Madrid the other day who took him out to a paella bar and he was drinking sangria and like, yeah. And like, you know, Christian from Norway who was at the after party, like he's booked in to come over to Australia next year and he's going to possibly bring his uh, girlfriend and do a bit of a tour between like the three of our houses. And it's just like weird, not weird, I guess it is kind of weird, but just strange developments that you never would have thought of that have just developed yeah. from three guys talking about their training on a on a podcast.
0: Yeah, that's great. Um sorry, you said Christian from Norway. Did he run about a 270?
2: No, that was the wrong you quoted him in that Runners Tribe article, but it wasn't him. Was that you know that was Dave No, no, that wasn't you. That was Dave. He said Jack, Christian ran two twenty two. Um oh, but, right. yeah, there was a I think another because the guy fell over. Is that the guy you're thinking about?
0: Yeah. Well, that's why I bring it up. Because he didn't fall over. I tripped him over.
2: Oh, did you trip him over?
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, look. I, I was I was holding the blue line, and th- this group of guys came past me, and he sort of cut in front of me, and he probably he probably just cut a fraction too close, and and I as I swung my leg forward, I kicked the bottom of the sole of his shoe as his foot came up, um, and, and he stacked hard and just slid across the ground, and and luckily it was wet because it didn't look like it took any skin off but I just for a split second I just froze and uh, yeah it was a bit of a bit of a John Landy moment I, I had to stop and, uh, and help him up and uh, look it only it only cost me a second or two he basically just bounced back straight back up and um, and he was really good about it all and I saw him after the race and um, and he said oh no look it was it was probably my fault but um, but you know thanks for stopping and that so he was really good the um nah, this guy's the, Swedish I
2: just looked him up then but yeah his name is Christian as well
0: yeah right um but, but he beat me like I, I tripped him over he's he's hit the ground hard I pulled you back and, and then he still got up and beat me so that's a bit demoralising, i <laughs> yeah. yeah he's ran
2: 213 though back in the day
0: right okay no, yeah. No, sorry, oh, yeah so
2: 2015 berlin so he's a quality makes, guy yeah that makes me feel a bit better <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah um yeah no that was but i did read dave's Blog on Runners Tribe and his interview, and they quoted it as Christian from Norway, not a yeah. not Christian from uh, Switzerland. And I sent that through to him, so he was pretty happy, thinking they'd claimed, uh, a, right. claimed him uh, as a two seventeen guy or whatever he ran that day. So
0: yeah, well that uh, that that would be a nice little burst from two twenty two.
2: Yeah, exactly right. Beautiful mate. Well, thanks for your time again. Really appreciate that. Yeah, no worries at all. Thanks, Brady. Enjoy the rest of your day. Well day. Thanks, Mitch. Bye. Bye.